Right. My eyes are not as good as they used to be. <laughs> I've got two pairs of glasses, one for distance, so I can't see you, and one for close-up. I'm going to read the scripture, the word of God this morning. Actually, it's in here. Jesus himself, it says he came to Nazareth. This is in Luke chapter 4, and it's verses 16 and 17. When Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been raised, he went, that doesn't mean from the dead, it was where he was brought up, he went into the synagogue as he always did on the Sabbath day. When Jesus came to the front to read the scriptures, they handed him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. He unrolled the scroll and he read where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me and he has anointed me to be hope for the poor, freedom for the brokenhearted, new eyes for the blind, and to preach to prisoners, you are set free. I have come to share the message of freedom for the time of God's great acceptance has begun. What does that really mean? Well, if you look over into Isaiah and we're reading again, only this time I'm reading it from the NIV. That was the Passion. In Isaiah 61, it says this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. That's right, isn't it? Good news to the poor, the homeless. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and proclaim freedom for the captives and release from the darkness of the prisoner to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Now I believe we're into a year of God's favour for you and me, for us as individuals, for us as a church, for us as a city, wherever the gospel is preached, wherever you take the word of God and speak to others about the wonderful good news of Jesus, the favour this year is on you. Amen? Now, how do I know that? Because if you look at Isaiah 43 and verse 18, this is what Paul mentioned last week here, our Paul. He said, forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. This is God speaking. For I am doing a new thing. That's verse 18 of Isaiah 43. I, God said, am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not see it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the waste lands. You see, we can come and pray, and that is so important, but this work of salvation is what God is doing. He's doing a new thing in your life, whatever it is. Where, where's she gone? I can't see you. <laughs> Imogen, put your hand up. There you are. A new thing in your life. Did you notice what she said? She said, God said to her, there are people out there that, 
don't know me. Did you get that? There are those out there that don't know me. Imogen was having difficulties. You've had difficulties. You've had problems. You've had difficulties. Each one of us do. But we have the Lord with us. We know him. Terry said a couple of weeks ago in Psalm 139 that God knows all about you. <laughs> he even knew before you were born. Isn't that amazing? He knows all about you because he created you. He knows you. He knows when you sit down. He knows when you relax. He knows when you're up and out at it. <laughs> he knows all about you. And it says, even if you went to the farthest ends of the world, he still knows you. He's there before you get there. God knows all about you. Do you know about God? There are those out there that don't know a thing about the Lord. They don't. Most people are not interested today in the things of God. Now, just a few things I want to share with you. Something that you can make notes of for the life group on Thursday as well. So if you've got your pens, get them out. I'm reading from another story now, which is found in Acts chapter 17 in the New Testament. Just to fill you in, you know what Acts 16 is all about. They were in prison and God opened the doors and set them free. And that's what we need to do out there. We need to go out there where you're working, wherever you are, and set people free. They were singing and praising God. It was midnight. Paul and Silas were singing and God sent an earthquake and they were free. Now I'm moving into chapter 17 because... They went on to Thessalonica and then they went on to Berea. And we find that Paul now is in Athens. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. In Athens, chapter 17 and verse 16. It says there, When Paul was waiting for, Paul, for Silas and Timothy had joined them, and he'd gone on ahead, he said he was in Athens... And Paul was greatly distressed in his spirit. You and I, when we go out and we mix with people, we should be distressed. We should be troubled in our spirit. Why was he? Because it says, I see that the city of Athens was full of idols. Idols everywhere. I'm going to pick up the reading in verse 22. And it says, Paul then stood up in the meeting and he said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. As I walked around and I looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription. Now I want you to imagine, he's going around and there are all these idols, there are idols for all kinds. And then he came across one and he looked at it and it said this, to an unknown God, an unknown God. Those people out there, God is unknown to them. God knows them, but they don't know him. And there was a time... Many of you sitting here this morning did not know God. You knew about him, but you didn't know him personally until he came into your life and changed you completely. 
Now you know him. You know, as a boy, I knew about God. I went to Sunday school and I, I, I invited friends to come to Sunday school, my mates and all the rest of it. My twin sister reminded me the other day I used to spend my pocket money, or at least my collection, and I used to nip across and, and go on the swings and the slides when I should have been at Sunday school. And she, she pointed that out to me the other day. You see, it was because I knew about him, I didn't really know him. But the day came when God spoke right into my heart and I committed my life to him. And then from that moment on, I knew him. And he knew all about me. He knew when I sat down, when I went and played on the swings, he knew all about me. But I knew him as well. He wasn't unknown. He was known. And it says here, to an unknown God. Now, what you worship, Paul goes on to say, is unknown. I'm going to proclaim, I'm going to tell you about him. I'm going to, I'm going to point you to him. Because you see, they had all these gods and they thought, whoa, perhaps we miss one out. So we'll have one. We don't know what it's for. So we just call it unknown. Paul saw that. And that was an amazing opportunity for him to tell people about the Lord. You remember the, um, the shepherds? The angel said to go and tell the good news. Don't be afraid. You have good news to share. And those shepherds went out and they told everybody the good news. Now, that frightful thing to do. It's not easy to tell people about Jesus, especially if you know the people. So it's easier out there than it is in your own home because people know you. My sister knows me, <laughs> and I know my sister. Uh, but if they don't know you, and they didn't know Paul, this unknown God, who made the world, it says, and everything in it. I've come to tell you, to explain to you, said Paul. Now, I looked up in the dictionary what the word unknown. You know what it says? It says something that has not been discovered. Something that is not identified. Something unknown. And many people today, as we've mentioned already, are like those. God is un he's an unknown saviour. They don't want to know. They don't want to be saved. They don't interested in the things of God. He's unknown to them. And you know, there are people today who ask the same three questions. I know people ask lots of questions, but the main three questions that people ask when you're talking to them about God, they say, oh, if God is good, then why does evil exist? And you sit there thinking, oh, crumbs, I don't know the answer to that, or should I? And then they say, hang on a minute, if God is so powerful, why does he allow wars to happen? And you think, yeah, that, that's a good question. And if God is love, why is there a hell? The amount of Christians I know who don't believe in hell because they believe in a loving God, which is true, but the Bible talks about hell. In fact, Jesus spoke about 
hell. And it is something that people are concerned about when you, as a Christian, start to witness or share your love of Christ with them. These questions stem from the fact that they don't know God in a personal way through a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. They know about him, but he's unknown. And our responsibility and our joy and our love should be to be able to explain to people who God is and why we serve him and really why he loves them and that they too need to share him. He's unknown. You know, young people today don't know right from wrong. Parents don't know how to handle their children in the bad behaviour taken of drugs. It's amazing when you listen to things that are going on on the television when somebody does it, they say, I never knew it. It was going on in the bedroom, if you like. That's where the drugs were found. I never knew. I had no idea. These are young people, workers who don't know what they're working for, statesmen who don't know what they're striving for, young and old, who really don't know what they're living for. You speak to people today and have no idea what life, real life, is all about. In Paul's day, the Greeks spent all their time listening to all the latest ideas. They were sophisticated, intelligent, knowledgeable. You may remember your history. The Greeks under Alexander the Great had the world at his feet and at the age of 21, he declared, there's no more world to conquer. But he didn't know God. At 21 years of age, he conquered the world, but didn't know God. There are people out there that don't know God, who think they've got it all together, and yet they're missing the most important thing in this world, and that is God. In fact, the, the Athenians from Athens they didn't believe in God. In fact, as far as dying was concerned, that was the end of it. And you've met people like that. They live for today. They're not interested in the future. To them, this is what matters now, here and now, where we as Christians know that we have been created for eternal life. Okay, life here, but eternal life. God so loved that he gave. It says God didn't come to condemn the world, but to save it. And that's so important that we understand that. Paul had gone to Athens to tell the people about Jesus. Looking around, he saw all these idols. There were animals, birds, stars, people. You talk to people on the train and they're reading their stars. They're more concerned about you know, superstition and various other things than they are about God himself. As far as they're concerned, he's unknown. And Paul says, I have come to proclaim him to you. Now, for Thursday, I want you to look up and make some notes. I've got five points here, <laughs> which you can put down. Reading from verse 24 of Acts 17, verse 24. First of all, um, we find that God is not 
the made. He is, in fact, the maker. God made you and I. Let's read it. It says, the God who made the world, verse 24 of chapter 17, and everything in it, the Lord of, is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hand. Verse 25, he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men and women life and breath and everything else. From one man, Adam, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth and he determines the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. Have you ever read that before? Have you ever realized that God not only made you, he had a purpose and plan for where you're living now, for being here, for the job that you have. God made that possible. Think back when you were having your interview. Please pray for me that I get this job. That was God's plan for you. This young man has come to this country from Japan. God had a plan for you, did he not? And that plan included you. <laughs> and you know, God has got a plan for you. And there are people out there waiting for you to do exactly what Paul has done. And there is a marvelous opportunity given to Paul to witness to these people. Isn't that amazing? You know, men worship what their hands make. That's why they had all those idols. But we do the same. Our car. Okay, you might not have made it, but man made it. And we get out there and we clean it. And we won't let anybody else drive it, especially not your grandson, if you've got anything. <laughs> what about your job? We make that an idol. Our family, our hobbies. You know, you see people out there on a Sunday mowing the lawns, not this time of the year, but in the summer. Their lawn, their allotment, their things that they are making with that, they worship that rather than a living saviour. And then if you read on verses 27, God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. There is something that God has put in you and those people out there in our lives that make us search or grope in the darkness in a desire, in a sense, to find God or to know him. It's built within us. When we, Terry and I, went to this church up in London, 
We tried everything not to. We were going to go ice skating. But somehow God placed within us this desire to go to church, to a crusader group. And I actually wrote on the skating evening with all these names, we were at work, I am going to see the Lord. I actually took my name off and wrote on there. Because somehow there was something within me that drew me because I knew somehow I was going to meet the Lord. And I wrote that down, and we did. Hallelujah. Our lives were changed. People said it won't last, but it has over 55 years. But you see, there's something within us, a desire to find God. As if God is lost. <laughs> you hear that? I found God. He wasn't lost. It was actually the other way around. I discovered that he was there. <laughs> and I couldn't see it. I didn't know it. And yet, he found me. Isn't that amazing? He found each one of you, if you know him, as your Lord and Savior. If not, the Bible says, seek him and you will find him. Search, knock, and the door will be open. Ask and he will answer your prayers. Hallelujah. And then thirdly, we read the word repent. Repent. Verse 30. If you look at it, it says, In past God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Repent. Let me read on verse 31. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And that man is Jesus. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. Now that's amazing, isn't it? We would all say that, oh, I believe it, if he rose from the dead. Last week, last week on the tally, Man in farm, Pharaoh, was with his kids. Did you read it? Did you see it? It was on the... Pardon? A pastor. A pastor, yeah, of a church. He was bouncing on trampolines in one of these, I don't know what you call them, fun, fun places, fun factories. And he passed out. And when they went to him, fortunately there were people there who were trained in uh, CPR. And he was dead. He died. They got out the, what do they call those? <laughs> Space gun. Space gun, right. <laughs> and he didn't move. They did it again. Now, his wife rung up the church and got people to pray. He's died. You can imagine. You're joking. Yeah, he's died. You want me to pray for him and he's dead? Yes, get on and pray. That's what happened. It was on the telly and he watched. She watched it. She watched him dead. 15 minutes. Yeah, 15 minutes. Boom! Third time. You can imagine these guys. Is it really worth it? Should we do it again? Yeah, give it one more go. Boom! Four times and the bloke came alive. He said it was a double miracle because they assumed if he came alive, he'd have brain damage. Is it four minutes? I'm not a... I'm not a, is it three minutes? Oh, a nurse knows. Yeah, if you're dead for three minutes. This bloke was dead for 15 minutes, but God had a purpose for him. It was on the telly. He rose from the dead. And that was the proof that God gave to you and me that somebody has died for your sins and my sins, and now he's alive to give us 
new life. That's what the gospel is all about. But listen, the moment he said resurrection, look what it says, verse 32. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. (laughs) Some of them ridiculed. You've got to be joking. I don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. As far as they're concerned, when you die, that's the end of it. No more. Gone. But others said, well, we'll hear you again on this subject. And verse 33, it says, At that, Paul left the council, but a few men became followers of Paul and believed. Now listen, among them, I can't even pronounce his name, Diosinus, a member of the Agapagus or whatever, and a woman called, even that I can't, Damarius. Now, what is interesting about those two, one was a judge in the council, and he became the bishop of Athens. Hallelujah, what a thought. You might see someone, one to Jesus, and they may become a bishop. Or they may be. The other one was a woman of very high standard. Just two of the people that followed Jesus came to know him that day. I think that is amazing. One a judge, and the other a woman of standing. Praise God. It was St. Augustus that said this, God is within all things, but not shut up in nothing. Outside, but not excluded. Beneath, but not depressed under anything. Above all things, but not out of reach. John, in the New Testament, in 17.3, says that you might know the only true God. Jesus himself, in John 14 and 7, says, you ought to know that one, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And goes on to say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, you know who our Queen is. Queen Elizabeth, right? 70, what is she, 94, 94 at least, 94 years old. She lives in this big house called Buckingham Palace. Try going and knocking on the door, they won't let you in. You know where she lives, you know all her sons and her grandchildren, you constantly know about her. But that's all. She doesn't know you. I've seen you on the telly, come on, let me in. She won't do that. Or they won't do that. You know about her, but you don't know her. Yet Jesus can be known. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Paul says this in 2 Timothy, I know in whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded he is able to keep what I've committed or put into his hands against that day. When we become a Christian, we immediately become part of the family of God. And there are those out there, Jesus said in Mark 16, go out there and preach good news. The Great Commission in Matthew 28 and 19, it says, go out there and make disciples. That's very clear. Tell them the good news. Make disciples. That's yours and my responsibility. We're filled with the Spirit. 
We are anointed with the Holy Spirit then our responsibility and our joy is to see people's lives transformed and changed. I'll finish with this. 2,000 years ago, the greatest event in history happened. God became a man. And that was Jesus. In our modern world, satellites, I'm glad you said what you said <laughs> a few minutes ago, satellite beam waves of communication to your phone. You got it right now. At this moment, satellites are beaming communications to your phone, your computer, and millions of other electronic gadgets. We can't see that, but they're there just the same. Or at least, we believe it. You see, God is invisible, yet 2,000 years ago, he became visible in Jesus. He walked the earth. He died and rose again, and yet still people don't know him. The creator of the universe took on human form. Why? Why did he do that? He did it for you and me, for everyone out there, so that we and they could get to know him. That's what happened last week. You know, they went up on the mountaintop, didn't we? Terry was talking about flying. I thought it was away. <laughs> on wing, eagle's wings, or wings as eagles. We were on the mountaintop. Jesus took Peter, James, and John on the mountaintop. And it was such an amazing experience that Peter says, listen, he said, let's make some tents. <laughs> and let's stay here. We make one for you, Jesus, one for you. Who were the others? Elisha? Elijah and Moses. That's right. What did Jesus say? No. This mountaintop is so important, but our mission is down there where the people are, down in the valley. You read it. I think it's John 16, something like this. And they went down in the valley, and immediately there was a man who they were unable to cast out and he said, why couldn't we do it? Jesus said, oh, you were a little faith. Bring him here. And he cast out there. He said, this comes about by prayer and fasting. May God bless you. Amen.